0: Greetings, everyone. We'll begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much, as we learn more and more about the revelation that you have given us in the book of Revelation. We thank you for it. We thank you for all of the many facets and many aspects. We thank you for the assurance and the comfort that it gives us. And we thank you for the certainty that it gives us that you are working out your plan, and that you will see your plan through to completion, and that you will Grant us eternal life and glorified bodies to rejoice with you for eternity. We Thank you for this. We ask that you would help us to understand these many facets and many aspects of the book of Revelation. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So tonight we are on Revelation part five, and we're going to take a look at the millennial kingdom. The first six verses of Revelation chapter 20. So first we'll read those six verses. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And as I read through these six verses, notice how many times that expression Thousand years comes up. They bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and seal it over him so that he could not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The word millennium means 1,000 years, and in biblical and theological context, it refers to the thousand-year period spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. Although there are many issues in eschatology and you're well aware of that all of the issues about the timing of the of the rapture and the the identity of the antichrist and so on but there are many issues in eschatology the question of the millennium is one of the most significant and hotly debated it has been for centuries perhaps no other passage in scripture speaks as directly to the issue of the relative timing of the millennium as revelation two questions there are two questions that arise about the millennial kingdom when will the millennial kingdom come and what will the millennial kingdom be like well this evening I'm going to address the first of those two questions when will the millennial kingdom come and next time we meet which I believe is uh, April 14th we'll deal with the second question what will the millennial kingdom be like Look at the, the many some of the many passages in the Old Testament regarding the Millennial Kingdom. So the timing of the millennium. Three primary theological positions have arisen to answer this question of the of the timing of the millennium: premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Premillennialism is the view that Christ will return before the millennium when I talk about that when will the millennial kingdom come I'm not setting dates I'm just talking about when it will come in relation to the return of Christ and premillennialism is a view that Christ will return before the millennium. millennium so there's a there's a chart depicting that the premillennial view there's the first coming and then In between the first coming and the second coming, there is this present age, the the church age, or the age of grace, as some call it. Then at Christ's second coming, he establishes a millennial kingdom. Then at the end of this thousand year millennial kingdom, Satan's final defeat occurs, and then we enter the eternal state. Notice that there are two resurrections. There's a resurrection right at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, or the resurrection of believers, and then At the end of the millennial kingdom, there's a resurrection and judgment of unbelievers. According to premillennialism, the present age will climax with a period of great tribulation and the second coming of Christ. When Christ returns, he will establish an earthly kingdom and rule over it for a thousand year period. At the time of Christ's return, believers will be resurrected to reign with him and Satan will be bound in the abyss where he will remain for the thousand years. During the millennium, Christ will reign in righteousness and there will be peace and justice throughout the earth. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released from the abyss and will gather the remaining unbelievers for battle against Christ, but they will be decisively defeated. All unbelievers will then be raised from the dead and God will judge them according to their deeds. After this final judgment, both believers and unbelievers will enter the eternal state. Of course, the conditions under which believers and unbelievers enter the eternal state will be very different on it. Now let's look at postmillennialism. Postmillennialism is the view that Christ will return after the millennium. So Premillennialism was the view that Christ was going to return before the millennium is set up. And postmillennialism is the view that Christ will return after the millennium. So we have the first coming of Christ, then ensues the present age. And then at some point, the present age gradually morphs into the millennial kingdom. And that's one of the things that's kind of puzzling about postmillennialism It's because they can't really point to a specific thing that will happen that will initiate the millennial kingdom. They just believe that at some point it will happen. At some point the the, cre- the church, uh, the number of Christians in the world will uh, be so great that they will dominate and, and, and will just go into the millennial kingdom. And then once the millennial kingdom is established and, and continues for some time, and the world is made right, then Christ will come. And we will enter the eternal state. So there is a general resurrection and judgment at the second coming of Christ, just before we enter the eternal state, according to the postmillennial view. According to postmillennialism, through the proclamation of the gospel in the present age, an unprecedented number of people in the world, in fact, a vast majority, will turn to Christ and be saved. This time of mass spiritual expansion of God's kingdom is not seen as the entire period of time between the first and second coming of Christ. So in other words, they don't they don't believe that the millennium started right when Christ was crucified and rose from the dead, but at some point after that will enter this millennial kingdom, according to the post-millennial view. Instead, it is believed that the present age gradually merges into the millennium in such a way that it is difficult, if not impossible, to discern the exact starting point of the millennium. The millennium will be characterized by spiritual prosperity, universal peace and righteousness, and economic well-being. Although Christ is not physically present on earth during this millennial period, he is believed to be the primary agent and cause of the church's expansion and influence. At the end of the millennium there will be a brief period of, of apostasy and conflict between the church and the forces of evil. This will be followed by the return of Christ and the resurrection and judgment of all mankind who will then enter the eternal state. Now we'll look at amillennialism. millennialism is the view that there will be no future millennium in the sense that pre or post-millennialists teach. The prefix ah means not. In other words, the present age is the millennial kingdom. They believe that the millennial kingdom the present age the church age the age of grace the time period between christ's first coming and his second coming they believe that this period is the millennial kingdom and then after the millennial kingdom is over christ returns and there's a general resurrection and judgment and we enter the eternal state according to amillennialism the millennial kingdom which was inaugurated by christ's victory at the cross began at the first coming of Christ and will continue until the time of his second coming. The millennial kingdom is and will continue to be characterized by a mixture of good and evil. The conflict between good and evil will intensify toward the end of the present age and the increasing persecution will culminate in the appearance of the antichrist except for preteris and the second coming of Christ. Uh, preterists uh, make a, a part of the on the line list. Not not all on the line list are preterists, but preterists believe that uh, the Antichrist has already come. They believe that the Antichrist was the Emperor Nero. That is the view of the preterists, which are a portion of the on the list. When Christ returns, there will be a general resurrection and judgment of both believers and unbelievers. After which both will be ushered into the eternal state. The various interpretations of Revelation 20 verses 1 through 6 raise four crucial questions. Is the binding of Satan present or future? Is the first resurrection spiritual or physical? Is the duration of the thousand years symbolic or literal? Is the locale of the millennial reign heaven or earth? So let's take a look at the first of those questions, the timing of the binding of Satan. According to all millennialists and many post-millennialists, the binding of Satan is a present reality because he was bound by Christ during his first century ministry on earth. In other words, Satan is currently bound. Those who affirm this point point out that the devil is said to have been bound in one respect and one respect only so that he could not deceive the nations any longer. This is said to mean that Satan is unable to prevent the spread of the gospel to the nations of the world. In other words, because Satan is bound, he is unable to destroy the church as a missionary institution and therefore unable to prevent the extension of the church Throughout the world. According to premillennialists, the binding of Satan and the thousand year period during which Satan is bound is yet future and will follow the second coming of Christ. During this time, Satan's activities and influence on earth will be completely eliminated. So this is an important distinction between the premillennialists and the amillennialists, or postmillennialists. The premillennialists believe that Satan will be completely, his influence will will be completely eliminated. And the amillennialists believe that Satan will just be, so to speak, put on a long leash. So he won't be completely eliminated, his influence won't be completely eliminated, but he will be limited in the damage that he can do. In examining the evidence for the two views five compelling reasons emerge for rejecting the binding of satan as a present reality and for affirming that this confinement of the devil has yet to occur present day activity of satan the binding of satan in revelation 20 indicates that the devil will be completely inactive on earth during the thousand year period But the testimony of the New Testament indicates that Satan is quite active on the earth in the present age. When Satan is bound, his influence won't just be limited, but rather it will be eliminated. The present day deception by Satan. The New Testament teaches that Satan is presently active and will continue to be active in the work of deception from which the binding of Satan in Revelation 20 will keep him. Satan's present day work of deception proves that he is not currently bound and incarcerated as described in Revelation 20 verses one through three. The stated purpose of the binding. Those who believe that Satan is presently bound generally teach that the purpose and therefore the result of Satan's binding is that he is now unable to prevent the spread of the gospel to the nations of the world. The difficulty with this view is that the purpose clause in Revelation 20 verse three does not say that the binding of Satan keeps him from preventing the missionary activity of the church to the nations. In fact, this clause concerns itself not at all with the freedom of believers to proclaim the truth but rather with the ability of unbelievers to perceive the truth. That is the the crucial distinction. During the millennial kingdom, unbelievers will be able to perceive the truth because they will not be able to be deceived by Satan. The non-progressive nature of the binding. Amillennialists and postmillennialists usually assert that the binding of Satan has a progressive nature to it, but this is not supported by Revelation 20, 1 through 3. The problem is that the picture painted in Revelation 20 is not one of Satan being bound over a period of time, either through a process or as a a series of individual bindings, but rather one of them being bound at a specific point in time at the beginning of the thousand years. the supposed parallels of the binding. Those who understand the binding of Satan as as present reality, almost always link Revelation 1 through three, with various texts in the New Testament in order to connect the binding to the ministry of Christ in the first century. An examination of these texts, however, demonstrates that these supposed parallels do not support the position that Satan is currently bound. So they, they point to various, scriptures in the Gospels, in the the epistles that talk about Christ gaining the victory over Satan. But then they go on from there to postulate that Satan is bound. Well, Jesus did achieve a great victory over Satan. But as we can see from the New Testament, Satan is not currently bound. So hundreds of years before the first coming of Christ, Satan was found to be roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. You read that in Job. And today, hundreds of years after the first coming, Satan still howls about like a roaring lion seeking somewhere, someone to devour. So Satan is not currently bound. Satan is not currently bound and imprisoned in the abyss and the millennium of Revelation 20 has not yet begun. So that's the first issue, the timing of Satan's binding. Next issue is the nature of the first resurrection. The question concerning the first resurrection of Revelation 4 through six, is whether it is a spiritual resurrection or a physical resurrection. In other words, a bodily resurrection. If this resurrection is physical, the thousand year period must be future, for since the resurrection has not yet taken place If, however, the resurrection is spiritual, the thousand-year period may be taking place in the present. Three views have arisen regarding the precise nature of this resurrection. The first two views hold to a spiritual resurrection, while the third view affirms a physical resurrection, in other words, a bodily resurrection. View one, in this view, the first resurrection refers to the regeneration of the believer at the point of conversion. In this way, the first resurrection is understood as the initiation into the Christian life in the present age. When a person is converted, when a person receives Christ, he is considered in this view to be resurrected. That is, in their view, the first resurrection. View two, in this interpretation, the first resurrection refers to the translation of the soul from the sinful earth to God's heavenly, God's holy heaven at the point of physical death. So, in other words, they believe that when a person dies and goes to heaven, that is the first resurrection. So, they believe, in other words, when the believer dies, physically his soul is raised and it sends from earth to heaven, the effect of which is living and reigning with Christ a thousand years. So, according to this view, the reign during the millennial kingdom takes place in heaven. E three, in this view, the first resurrection refers to believers who will physically, bodily come to life at the beginning of the thousand years. The First resurrection will restore the believers to bodily life for their millennial reign. Whereas the second resurrection will bring all unbelievers before the great white throne to be judged. The sharp contrast in the passage is between those who are raised at the beginning of the thousand years and those who are raised at the end. Both are physical bodily resurrections, but those who are raised at the beginning of the Millennium are contrasted with those who come to life at the end of the Millennium, who face judgment. Reputation of Views 1 and 2. New 1 requires a use of the word resurrection, anastasis, that is unprecedented in the New Testament. Of the 42 times that it is used in the New Testament, the word is never used to refer to regeneration. It always refers to this bodily resurrection. It doesn't just refer to regeneration. Likewise, the word resurrection is never used in the New Testament to refer to the translation of the believer's soul into heaven at the point of death, as in view 2 The New Testament never refers to that as a resurrection. Views 1 and 2 teach that the entrance of the saints into, into their reign is distributed throughout the millennial period, some not entering into it until the period is almost over. This stands in contrast to the picture of Revelation 20, in which the entire group of saints begins its reign together and continues this reign for the entire thousand year period. So the book of Revelation does not present us with with an image of the saints being gradually over time beginning their reign, their thousand year reign in the resurrection. It talks about this resurrection occurring all at once at the beginning of the millennium. You two erroneously denies the existence of a second resurrection at the end of the thousand years. In other words, when John says in verse five that the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Opponents of you two understand this to mean that the rest of the dead never do come to life. So here's our conclusion. The first resurrection of Revelation 20, 4 through 5, is best understood as a physical, bodily resurrection of the righteous. Because such a resurrection has not yet taken place, the thousand years described in Revelation 20 must refer to a period of time yet future. So that's the second issue, the, the nature of this first resurrection. Now, The duration of the thousand years. Should the thousand years in Revelation 20 be understood literally as 1,000 calendar years or symbolically as a figurative way to designate a period of some other length? Amillennialists and postmillennialists teach that the thousand years should be taken symbolically, whereas most pre-millennialists, but not all, but most pre believe that the thousand years should be taken literally. Because more than a thousand calendar years have transpired since the first coming of Christ, the question of the duration of the thousand years is significant. If the thousand years is literal, it cannot refer to the period of time separating the two advents of Christ. And it therefore must have reference to a period of time yet future. Those who regard the thousand years to be symbolic, explain the meaning of the symbol as either an indefinitely long period of time, or a complete period of time determined and known only by God. There are two primary arguments for the symbolic view. The first argument is that the book of Revelation is full of symbolism and the second is that the number 1000 is symbolically significant. I recall listening to a Catholic Roman Catholic presentation on the book of Revelation and I was struck by one of the statements that was made in that presentation that all of the lengths of time in the book of Revelation are symbolic. So their view is that not only is the thousand years symbolic, but you know the, the, the time times and half a time, the 42 months, the the, the three and a half years, they, that that too is is symbolic according to this view. I was just struck by that statement. Gentry states he's a a postmillennialist, I believe. Gentry states that, the, that 10 is the number of quantitative perfection. Furthermore, because 1000 is the cube of 10, it is surely a symbolic sum representing quantitative perfection. So that, that is the view that all and post-millennialists have to take. There are six problems with the symbolic view. First, there is the appeal to the symbolic nature of the book of Revelation. It's overly simplistic, because not everything in Revelation is symbolic. One must provide compelling reasons why something should be considered symbolic. The abundance of symbolic numbers in the book of Revelation has been exaggerated. There is no solid evidence that any of the numbers of Revelation, referring to time periods, are other than literal. There seems to be no precedent in scripture for a non literal use of the designation, thousand years. Amillennialists point to a thousand hills in Psalm 50, verse 10. In Psalm 50, verse 10, God is speaking and He says, All the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. And so, amillennialists point to that and they say, Well, see, it doesn't mean that. God owns all of the cattle on just a thousand year, a thousand hills, and no more. But a thousand hills is just a, a symbol, uh, indicating the a large indeterminate number of hills, on which God owns all the cattle on those hills. So they point to Psalm 15, verse 10, as, as a symbolic use of 1,000. But the thing to note is, it's not years; it's 1,000 hills, not 1,000 years and the passage in Psalm 50 verse 10 is not prophetic. So those are two things to keep in mind when you try to link Psalm 50 verse 10 to Revelation. John's specific time designation of a thousand years stands in contrast to his use of the indefinite phrase, a short time in verse three. Had he wanted to communicate the idea of a long period of time Wouldn't he use the phrase a long time? But you notice that in the passage I read, Revelation 20 verses one through six, that expression a thousand years doesn't just occur once, it occurs again and again and again. And each time, John is very specific, a thousand years, not a long time, not a long indefinite period of time, but a thousand years. The duration of the binding was not seen by John in the vision. It was directly revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. That is a very important point about the thousand years. The phrase thousand years in Revelation 20 possesses neither of the two characteristics of symbolic language. In order to be considered symbolic, the language in question must possess some degree of absurdity when taken literally so when, when we read, for example, about the beasts in the book of Revelation, nobody that I'm aware of thinks that there will actually be animals running around in the, in the, in the tribulation. You know, animals with seven heads and ten horns. Everybody realizes that, that those are symbolic. It is absurd to take them literally. And we, some degree of clarity when taken symbolically. So it doesn't give us additional clarity to say that a thousand years isn't really a thousand years. So here's our conclusion. The best approach is to assume that all numbers should always be taken at face value and understood as conveying a mathematical quantity unless there is textual or contextual evidence to the contrary. In the absence of such evidence, it is best to affirm the literal meaning of thousand years in Revelation and therefore reject the interpretation that sees this time period extending from the first coming of Christ to his second coming. The next question that we need to deal with is the question of the locale of the millennial millennium. The question to be considered here is whether the reign of Christ and the saints takes place in heaven or on earth. The three millennial views present three different answers to this question. The view of amillennialism. The millennial reign of Christ takes place in heaven, not on earth. According to Hokema, he's a very prominent amillennialist, whereas the thousand year period described in these six verses is the same throughout. Verses one through three describe what happens on earth during this time. And verses four through six depict what happens in heaven. So they believe that the first part of the passage describes what is happening on earth, but the reigning takes place in heaven. In the view of omnipotentism therefore, the thousand years of Revelation 20, one through six, refers to the present reign of Christ and the saints in heaven. Post-millennialism. The millennial reign of Christ takes place both in heaven and on earth. Does this reign of the saints take place in heaven or on earth? The answer should be obvious, both. The saints' thrones are in heaven with Christ, yet with their Lord. They exercise rule and dominion on the earth. There's a quotation from Chilton, who is a, a postmillennialist. In other words, in the view of postmillennialism, Christ reigns from heaven, but he exercises his dominion through the saints here on earth. Premillennialism the, the millennial reign of Christ will take place upon the earth as Jesus reigns from the Davidic throne in Jerusalem. In contrast to the claim of those who say there is no indication in these verses that John is describing an earthly millennial reign, this is Hokama again. There are at least five reasons to believe that the millennial reign will take place here on earth and not in heaven. First of all, Revelation 5:10 identifies the location of the saints reign to be upon the earth. tells us that we have been made kings and priests and we will reign on the earth. Secondly, when the seventh trumpet sounds in Revelation eleven fifteen, heavenly voices proclaim, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Three, the elimination of Satan's activities and influence on earth is part of what makes the millennial reign possible. The binding of Satan is unnecessary for a millennial reign that takes place in heaven. You wouldn't need to bind Satan on earth if the reigning is going on in heaven. Four, Revelation 20 verse nine indicates that the saints who reign for a thousand years are living on the broad plane of the earth. five revelation teaches that christ will return to earth to defeat the nations after which he will reign for a thousand years so the conclusion is that scripture indicates that the millennial reign of christ will take place upon the earth and that it finds its basis in the old testament covenants of promise in fulfillment of these promises The divinely redeemed nation of israel will return to her land where she and all gentile believers will experience the personal presence of the living resurrected christ in a real restored jerusalem from there christ will rule and reign with all his saints with an unqualified justice and righteousness such as this old world has longed to see since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. Great will be the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That concludes our study for this evening. And next time, as I mentioned earlier, we will look at the many uh, some of the many Old Testament prophecies, which tell us what the millennial kingdom will be like. So tonight we looked at when the millennial kingdom will come in relation to the the, the coming of Christ, when the millennial kingdom appears in relation to the coming of Christ. And next time we'll look at the question of what will the millennial kingdom be like. We will conclude now with a word of prayer, and then we will open it up for discussion, questions, and so on. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the clarity that you have given us in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not a book that we can apply to our own feelings and circumstances and, and try to apply it specifically to certain events in our time or to us, our situation, but it does give us concrete, clear understanding of what will come in the future. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can have this assurance and this understanding. And we long for that day when your son will return to this earth and establish a millennial kingdom that will show mankind. what it is this like to live under your rule, under your compassionate rule for thousands of years Mankind has dreamed up every conceivable way to try to achieve utopia on his own terms. All of those attempts have failed and will fail miserably. But we long for that day when your son will return. And establish. a Perfect trust world. And we long for the day. When beyond that, you will establish a new heavens and a new earth and we will go into the eternal state with you, with your son. We thank you so much that we have the assurance that you long to dwell with us and you long to be fully our God. We thank you in the name of your son, our soon coming King, Jesus Christ. I